This episode is sponsored by Arbelos Films. Arbelos specializes in releasing 4K restorations of canon-expanding and critically celebrated arthouse cinema. Releases are available across arthouse streaming platforms and in deluxe special edition Blu-rays. Some of their most celebrated releases are Bellatar's iconic Satan Tango, Toshio Matsumoto's queer classic Funeral Parade of Roses, and Wendell B. Harris Jr.'s Sundance-winning Black American comedy Chameleon Street. You can find all their special edition Blu-rays on their online shop. And just for our listeners, you can use the promo code SCENEHERD for 15% off your first purchase. The link to the Arbelos online shop is in the show notes. It's El Duderino if you're into the whole brevity thing. This is Rio Bravo. Hey everybody, welcome to Seen and Heard. Hey. This is the podcast where two Hollywood assistants were as Hollywood as they get. We're at the top of the Hollywood food chain, Greg and Jackie. I'm drinking a Diet Coke as we speak. <laughs> this is the podcast where we go through the sight and sound top 100 greatest films of all time list. I'm Greg. I'm Jackie. And we're back on the list this week after diverting last week for our s'mores episode. We did Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise. So if you haven't heard that... Go back, take a listen. It is part of our S'mores series, which is an exclusive to Patreon series. But we have a good time. And right now we have a backlog of what, like eight episodes or something wow. like that? Seven or eight. Um, I think that might have, maybe this was number seven. But we started with Pink Flamingos and continued with uh, some Gaspar Noe mm-hmm. and the Return to Oz. And we've done the films of Kenneth Anger. We've done the films mm-hmm. of Maya Darren. And uh, here we are. Uh, we Last uh, month we did Mask of the Red Death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did that in June with Vincent Price, and then we just did Phantom of the Paradise. And you know, funnily enough, of course, Phantom of the Paradise is playing at the New Bev. I know, on a double bill. It keeps happening. Yeah, it's sold out, though. Wow. It's sold out. Uh, Also, we just want to announce that we will be taking a brief break soon. Last year, we took the month of uh, November off. It's not going to be as clean this year. We're going to take like half of September and half of October off. So we'll, we'll leave... Uh, basically, we have one week left after this episode. We're going to come back. We're going to do Satan Tango because our sponsor, Arbelos, how could we not? How it's one not? of their best releases. So we're going to do Satan Tango next week. And then we're going to be gone for about a month. Mm-hmm. And we're going to return mid to late October, get in a Halloween movie or two, and return to the list. Yes. So that is the plan. Good plan. Uh, just letting you know. What's that from? <laughs> Good plan. Wait, the way you said that. It's from a it's from a movie. Oh, it's from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It is. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I didn't even know. Yeah, it's it's the scene. It? It's the scene when Rick Dalton when Rick tells Cliff, "Hey, we can't afford you anymore. Like, we're gonna sell the house." And, uh-huh, uh-huh. and he's like, "No, I get it. Good plan." Yeah. <laughs> wow. What are you gonna do with your time off? <laughs> Catch up. <laughs> with what? <laughs> On on uh, projects and uh, activities, we're doing a big uh, two months of horror for the film club. Mm. So if you are interested in joining the film club and maybe haven't yet and you love horror movies, we are doing two solid months of horror. We're calling it our season of screams. Amazing. So come join us over there. We do weekly Zooms Thursday nights. Anyway, cool. before we get into the film this week, which is Howard Hawks' Rio Bravo. Oh, yeah. I forgot. What have you been watching this week, Jackie? I watched, I rewatched The Beguiled by Sofia Coppola. Honestly, masterpiece. There, I said it. It's so fucking good. It's so good. Watch it again. Have you only seen it once? I only saw it once. Watch and it again. You know what? I liked it, but it was the same night that Baby Driver came out. And I saw <laughs> it at the Los Feliz 3. And I really wanted to see Baby Driver first just because it looked so. I don't know, intoxicating. <laughs> and because it was the Los Feliz 3, the sound from that auditorium bled into the Beguiled, that which is a very sucks. quiet movie. So I'm sitting there and I'm just hearing the soundtrack from Baby that Driver. Sucks. So I was like, oh, I kind of want to be in that theater right now. But I like, I really liked the no, Beguiled. I, I just like, it's bad circumstances. It. Yeah, it was only my second time seeing it and I was truly blown away. 
I lo- I really liked it the first time. Really loved it the second time. Have you seen the original with Clint Eastwood? I haven't. I haven't either. And I have no desire to. Really. Oh, you should watch it. I don't know. Anyway, uh, very underrated. And I feel like in a few years, people are going to come around and be like, that was so good. Like they are now with Marie Antoinette. Yes, exactly. Um, and then I watched Porco Rosso because I've never seen it. Oh, I love Porco But you know Rosso. what? I watched the dub and it wasn't that good. Michael Keaton. Yeah. Do you watch the dub or do you watch? This is might, might be a hot take. Typically with animation. Well, specifically Ghibli, I watch the dub. Yeah. I usually do too. But this was the first one that I felt meh. Underwhelmed by. No, I thought the dub was underwhelmed. No, the dub. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Because Pixar usually does the dubs. I didn't like the dub. I thought it was weird. There's mm. a lot of awkward like misogyny in the movie, which I'm sure it, it's like it's it's intentional, but it just sounds weird in English. I don't know why. Right. Uh, but, you know, beautiful movie. Yeah. Can't complain. Yeah. <laughs> I like it a lot. What about you? Also not that much. <laughs> I rewatched the Clive Barker film Nightbreed, which I believe was his follow-up to Hellraiser. He did Hellraiser oh, and they're Hellraiser. like they're like, "Hey, that's your fave, right?" Mm-hmm. I know you put it on every night every before you night. go to bed. <laughs> but yeah, Nightbreed is his follow-up that was like cut up on release and mismarketed as a slasher movie, which it's not, and just kind of floundered, kind of like hurt his filmmaking career. He's such a jack of all trades too. He's a he's an author, he's like a poet, he's a filmmaker, like he directs his own movies, he's like a painter, like he's a I think he's also a musician, so like to have that many talents is pretty insane, but I love the. I watched the director's cut this time, which they just reconstructed a few years ago, and I I really liked it. it was, I'd seen the theatrical before, which kind of left me cold, and then I saw the director's cut, which I think adds like forty five minutes, something like that. But chunk. I was like, oh, David Cronenberg is in it. David Cronenberg plays the villain. He's oh, actually wow. not a great actor, but um, yeah, worth worthwhile movie. And then I saw a film called The Boxer's Omen. You can tell I'm already gearing up for Halloween here. Uh, the Boxer's Omen is a Shaw Brothers film from 1983. It's a kung fu movie, but it's horror. Mm. It's a, it's a big weirdo, gross out movie with all these crazy, goopy special effects and people eating entrails and black magic mixed in with kung fu. I really dug it. I had some friends over and we watched it and had a good time. Had some margaritas, and uh, yeah, that was my week. Nice. So. You know, already in the throes of the Halloween season, which yeah. I could not be happier about because this is like my favorite time. Mm-hmm. I love fall. I love horror. I'm just, I'm in. Thanks for the invite. I'm margaritas. in. <laughs> I didn't think you'd want to watch the Boxer's Omen. <laughs> Plus, I offered you a margarita the other night before we recorded and yeah, you said you no. Because I was going to Vegas. Which is I fair. To, I had to flush my system before. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I watched this while you were in Vegas anyway. Oh, okay, sure. Anyway, with that being said, should we get into this week's film? Well, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to say, right before we get into it, if you hear a hum in the background, it's an AC because we are in the triple digits right now in Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. and I cannot be bothered to turn the AC off. So if you hear a hum, that's what it is. I'm trying not, we're trying not to die over here. Especially not, we're not going to die over John Wayne. Yeah, you know? exactly. If we're it not was, gonna... I mean, if it was another movie, maybe. Right. If it was Godard, Jackie. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Contempt. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, from 1959, this is Howard Hawks's Rio Bravo. Bravo was released in 1959. It was directed by Howard Hawks, written by Jules Firthman and Lee Brackett, based on the short story by the same name by B.H. McCampbell. Music by Dimitri Tiomkin. Lyrics for the songs Rio Bravo and My Rifle, My Pony, and Me by Paul Francis Webster. One night in a western town, Joe Burdett, the brother of a wealthy land baron, kills an innocent bystander after picking a fight with the sheriff's drunken deputy, simply known as Dude. The sheriff, John T. Chance, 
And Dude, hold Joe in the town prison and await the arrival of the U.S. Marshal to take him to trial. They are aided by Stumpy, an old deputy who guards the cell. Nathan Burdett, Joe's brother, forms a small army of mercenaries that stalk the town and the jail. A wagon train arrives into town, led by Chance's friend, Pat Wheeler, who is carrying dynamite. Wheeler offers his help to Chance, but Chance refuses. Wheeler tries to recruit Colorado Ryan, a young gunslinger in his party, to help Chance, but Colorado decides not to get involved. At the town hotel, Chance catches a rigged deck of playing cards and identifies a woman player, Feathers, to be the wanted widow of a crooked gambler. Feathers is innocent, but she is drawn to Chance and decides to stay in town for a little while longer. Meanwhile, Wheeler is killed in the street by Burdett's men. Dude catches the killer, and it looks as though he'll finally get sober. However, after a bad night of the shakes, he is captured. Chance, with the help of Colorado Ryan, overcomes Burdett's men and free Dude. But Dude is so ashamed that he quits the force as he watches Colorado replace him. That is, until Dude hears the threatening El Deguelo, a.k.a. Cutthroat song, that Nathan has the saloon play on a loop as a threat to the law enforcers. Chance decides that they'll all camp out in the saloon until the marshal gets there. Dude and Chance go to the hotel for supplies. However, there, Burdett's men have set a trap and forced Chance to open the doors to the jail. Luckily, Stumpy shoots them down before they can take Joe, but the rest of the men take Dude. Chance agrees to an exchange, Joe for Dude. During the handoff, Dude tackles Joe and the shootout begins. Chance uses the dynamite from Wheeler's wagon and they win the fight. As they await the marshal to take the Burdettes to justice, Chance admits his love to Feathers, and the film ends with Stumpy and Dude heading out for a night on the town. The film stars John Wayne as Sheriff John T. Chance, Dean Martin as Dude, Walter Brennan as Stumpy, Ricky Nelson as Colorado Ryan, and Angie Dickinson as Feathers. The film is credited as being based off a short story by B.H. McCampbell. However, B.H. McCampbell is a pseudonym for Howard Hawks' daughter. Her name was Barbara Hawks McCampbell. McCampbell was her married name. But it's kind of weird and sus. Like, there isn't a clear consensus on if there was an actual short story she wrote. A short story was not published. Mm. Some people, there's one biographer who says, there's a biography by Todd McCarthy, and he claims that her contribution was simply the dynamite. And so they made this weird credit of based on the short story, or maybe she contributed more story. No one really knows, but it's like a weird. Interesting. It's interesting, right? Apparently, this was Hawks and Wayne's response to High Noon, which is kind of a revisionist Western. And it was seen by Wayne and Hawks as a criticism of McCarthyism, which they were not okay with because John Wayne was very conservative. And John Wayne called High Noon un-American. John Wayne actually helped blacklist the writer of High Noon, Carl Foreman. And he has gone on the record to say, I have, I have no regrets about running that guy out of the country. What a dick. It, literally. Uh, yeah, basically. Have you seen High Noon? You know what? No, I haven't seen it. So I really like High Noon because it is kind of revisionist Right. Their problem with High Noon is basically in High Noon, the sheriff of the town, which is played by Gary Cooper, he's about he gets married and he's about to leave the town. But then he hears that the bandits are coming and he feels bad he can't leave the town. But they're all telling him, get out of here. They're going to kill you. And he just can't do it. So he sticks around to form a posse, essentially. But no one wants to help him. The whole movie is literally him going from person to person trying to get people to help him. And no one is gonna, no one helps him. And he's afraid. Um, Whereas in this movie, everybody wants to help. Right. Him. And he's yeah. like, I don't need your help. I'm good. That was what the, that's that was their idea. Let's right. have a let's have a really stoic and strong man who only takes help from people he knows can help him like Colorado, but turns down everyone else. Right. Because the Gary Cooper character shows fear. And in the end, well, well OK, uh, for people who haven't seen it. OK, including me, basically what Howard Hawks says about High Noon. I didn't think a good sheriff was going to go running around town like a chicken with his head cut off asking for help. (laughs) So stupid. That's literally what I like about the movie. 
so yeah so chance is a super tough guy doesn't want help from anyone unless they're good <laughs> really dumb <laughs> howard hawks and john wayne would team up for two films that were variations of rio bravo they're called el dorado from 1966 and rio lobo from 1970 basically about a sheriff defending his office why would you do that <laughs> why would you do that <laughs> Um, funnily enough, Dimitri Tiomkin also did the music for High Noon. Mm. Yeah, he was one of the big Hollywood yeah. composers. He did some Hitchcock, you know. Archive footage from this film was used in another John Wayne film, his last film ever, which is called The Shootist. And in The Shootist, John Wayne plays a dying gunslinger. And the film uses footage from his previous films to tell his backstory. So here he is when he's young. Pew, pew, pew. Here he is when he's even younger. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm sure you were first in line when that came out. <laughs> you know what? I added it to my watch list. I want to see it. Lauren Bacall's in it. Oh. That's not the only reason I want to see it. I do. I'm actually interested because it's about he's dying of cancer and right. he's trying to figure out the best way to die comfortably. That's the whole movie. And that sounds interesting to me. Yeah. Ennio Morricone said that Sergio Leone told him to write Dimitri Tiomkin music for a fistful of dollars. Wow. Very highly influential I guess I hear it a little bit. Oh, the trumpet-heavy stuff. Trumpet, exactly. Mm. Speaking of Godard, Godard and Tarantino both really love this movie. Godard called it a work of extraordinary psychological insight and aesthetic perception. More on that later. (laughs) John Carpenter's film Assault on Precinct 13 from 1976 is directly inspired by the story of Rio Bravo. The film was not nominated for any Oscars. I mean, not that that's the mark of anything. Godard gave it four stars in Kaya du Cinema. Though. Nice. Is it the highest rating? It's the yeah, Roger I, Ebert I four so. stars? Yeah. Uh, Actually, I don't know. Don't quote me on that. I'm going to quote you. Don't Everyone, you it. heard what she just said. Um, <laughs> Lee Brackett, too, one of the co-screenwriters. What an illustrious career from The Big Sleep mm. to this film. And then, like you said, um, she also did El Dorado and Rio Lobo. Mm. And wrote The Long Goodbye for Robert Altman. Wow. And I think the last thing she ever wrote, The Empire Strikes Back, the Star Wars Wow. Yeah, so started at the big sleep, ended at Empire Strikes Back. That's incredible. Yeah. Howard Hawks, too. I mean... I mean, Hawks is incredible. And I think, too, what what makes Hawks so incredible is that he's kind of invisible. Oh, my God. Like, he can do anything. He can do a screwball comedy. Like, he did Bringing a Baby, right? Bringing a Baby and His His Girl Girl Friday. Friday. Yeah. And 20th Century with John Barrymore and Carolyn Barr. Yes, you're right. You're totally right. And then Western, some of the best Westerns ever. ever. Obviously, we're going to disagree on this one. But uh, also uh, Red River with John Wayne, which is a great one. Him and um, Montgomery Clift. Yeah. You would love that one. That Wonder one's really it's good. It's on my list of Westerns to watch. But yeah, just a super versatile director. Like, yeah, he's incredible. Yeah. To have and have not. Yeah. And then also he did The Thing from Another World, which also John Carpenter ended up remaking as The Thing. So John Carpenter remade at least two Howard Hawks movies. He's a huge Howard Hawks fan. John Carpenter is even on the disc for Rio Bravo as a commentary for the film. Wow. So big fan. I mean, he's just, I love just going through his filmography. Gentlemen prefer blonde. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Oh, Only Angels Have Wings. Have you Mm, seen that one with Cary Grant? That movie is so good. It's so good. Adding it to the list. But, okay, so this is number this is number 63 on the 2012 list and number 101 on the 2022. It didn't make the top 100 in the 2022. Huh? Mm. I wonder why. I do wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's about time we get into initial thoughts, huh? Uh, I suppose. <laughs> you go first. <laughs> I have uh, nothing for this movie. Sorry, I just stepped on you. No, it's <laughs> fine. It's fine. Please step. I have very little for this movie. I would like you to go first. All right, I'll go first. Well, I already know a little bit that you don't love the movie, which is fine. In fact, going on Letterboxd, I saw that this movie had a very split reaction from people. And either people were like, oh my God, this is incredible. Or they were like, what? This is what everyone's talking about? I fell into the what, what is everyone's talking about for like the first 45 minutes or so. And once I settled in and I realized what it was doing now, granted I've heard about this movie for so long and I've heard Tarantino say in so many interviews, that's like the greatest hangout movie ever. So I kind of knew going in that it was going to be a hangout movie. 
um, which I think Tarantino just contributed one of the all-time greats to that genre in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I kind of knew that this movie was going to just be sitting around with the characters. And I'm so happy that the movie, this is... I don't want to say 100% this is like a Greg movie, but it's a Greg movie in the sense that it kind of sets up a plot and then forgets about it and becomes way more interested in the characters themselves. And then the plot kind of comes back in and then it goes back out and they forget about it for a while. And like what I really, ultimately I really liked this movie and I think why I like it so much, it's not because it's the most subversive or interesting Western or like the gutsiest, you know, the, the Sergio Leone Westerns or the Sergio Corbucci ones, like the Italian spaghetti Westerns still kind of reign supreme for me. And then in, on the traditional kind of classic American Western side, I still prefer something like Stagecoach or even Red River by Howard Hawks. But what I think is so cool about this movie is just that the plot gets sidelined for the characters. And I think it's so cool. And I think the fact that this film gets hung up on people shaving, going to the bathroom, taking a shower, where are they going to sleep at night? Whose room are they going to sleep in? Who's outside in the hall guarding their room? The minutia of the story becomes these big moments. And so because it's brought down to such a relatable level i like really care about these people and i think too again we're not john wayne fans if you've heard our episode on the searchers you know this that being said like i think he's a part of some great films some don't work like i don't really like the searchers but like i think in stuff like stagecoach where he's supporting or red river where he's more forefront but he's like kind of the villain in that almost in the way that he is in the searchers He's not as interesting here, but he does. A, he's the backbone of the movie, right? Like there are these characters that kind of orbit around him, and the movie's not about him. I'm not interested in him. He does a fine job. I'm not interested in the romantic subplot at all. I feel bad for Angie Dickinson having to kiss her grandpa. <laughs> but I can't deny, as a non-John Wayne fan, some of the the way he holds himself in some of these scenes with such an authority. And but what truly impressed me was mostly Angie Dickinson and Dean Martin. Dean Martin, I honestly have not seen in that many movies, and I didn't know he was like capable of like a performance like this. Like, I think his performance as dude in this movie is pretty remarkable and maybe because i just wasn't expecting anything because it's dean martin but like i was bowled over by him in the movie and i really felt for him and angie dickinson too has this like new star sheen about her she's like she's like i'm here i don't even know where this falls like i I think she might have done some stuff before this i don't think it's not like the very beginning of her career but she has this just like new star sheen and she's so good and in a in a, a genre which was sidelining female characters even in the Leone films to a certain extent, except outside of like Once Upon a Time in the West. She's interesting. She's tough. I don't know why she falls for him, but everything else, like clearly she would fall for Dean Martin. Literally. Because it's like Ricky Nelson is the baby boy. He's like a child. Dean, Even him. If she went for him, I'd be like, yep, cool. He's like prepubescent. But like Dean Martin has like, Uh, he has that like, he seems like late 30s, maybe 40. Yeah. He has this like, he's, he's a charming. man. He's a man. He's not a grandpa like John Wayne. Anyway, I'm rambling on. I really dug this. I like, I saw a lot of people on Letterboxd even who liked it. And they're like, it's too long. It is two hours and 20 minutes. I like, I actually wanted it to keep going. Once I got into its rhythm, I wanted it to keep going. And I loved just being able to spend time with the characters and have these like little moments become such big moments. So for me, it worked. I agree what you're saying about the minutia. I really do like that. I love when people discuss, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? I'm going to take a bath. Love that. That stuff was cool. The thing was like, I had heard this is like Tarantino's favorite hangout movie. So I thought that they were going to be literally hanging out in the jail, guarding this guy with the guy, the prisoner, being one of the main people who's hanging out. Like, I, I thought that's what this movie was. <laughs> and then they literally abandoned the old man in the jail. Like, nothing. Like, it's like, why are you guys leaving him? He's an old man with a bad leg. Where are you going? Why are you walking around? What are you doing? Why on the last night, you guys are like, actually, we should have done this three nights ago we're all staying there it's like yeah no shit like that's i thought that's what the movie was when they kept leaving i'm gonna go sleep in the hotel 
what? Why are you going to go sleep in the hotel? No danger. Zero danger. Zero excitement. Nothing. Because I don't want to go to the hotel. Oh, wow. A card game. Like That's what I like about it, though. But yes, I get what you're saying. I thought that was the movie. I thought they were going to hang out. I thought they were going to talk to this outlaw guy. I think I thought it was going to be a cool them in the jail the whole time. When they are in the jail, they're singing silly songs. <laughs> or, or it's Stumpy saying something that's ridiculous. I don't understand what he's saying. <laughs> Love him though. I think he's excellent. In is fact, he your I favorite think, sound? Yeah, I think he's my favorite character too. Yeah, um, I love him. I love him. When it started, when there was like five minutes of no dialogue, I was like, oh hell yeah! It's like very cool. I felt like I was in a Gene Kelly montage or like a silent movie. Oh, interesting. And then, of course, it's—I mean—it's short-lived. Um, <laughs> but as the movie progressed, I got less and less interested. I never felt real danger until I guess when there was an hour left in the movie. It kind of picks up a little bit, especially with the like the introduction of the song yes. and that night where they catch that guy, and then the next day when Dean Martin's the dude is really shaky. After that, it kind of picks up, and I really like that. But. I don't know. They just kept leaving that old man all alone. And I was like, I, I don't understand. Why are you guys leaving? Yeah, but he's I good, thought he's it's good a with stakeout, a gun. But I thought it's a stakeout. Like, I thought you guys are in date that someone could burst in at any moment. And he even says it. He goes, something I should have done two or three nights ago. That killed me. When he said that, I was like, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, it, but, you know, all things said and done, it was enjoyable. But honestly, nothing to write home about, I thought. I didn't hate it. It was enjoyable. But really, I'm. I, if it were up to me, I this would not even be near the sight and sound list. Yeah, that's fair. I don't think that's it's... That's fair. Do you think this movie deserves to be on the list? No. Why is it no. on the list? It does but, nothing new. No, but I, I mean... I, I really like it, but is it a top 100 movie of all time? No, but it's, I, yeah, I get what you're saying. In fact, I like High Noon more. That sounds fair. Yeah, that sounds totally fair. Okay, you love Dean Martin. I literally wrote Dean Martin, wrong choice, question Oh, mark. no. I think he was that good. Oh, I and thought he was like, good. this Italian accent coming in every now and then sounded like he was from Jersey. I was like, are you from the West or are you from Jersey? Look, this movie uses a little bit of stunt casting with him and Ricky Nelson, who are both musicians. and it, Singing is, yeah, go ahead. Oh, but I love it. But it's in the way that mm. like. I hate to keep relating it to Tarantino, but it's kind of in the same way that like Tarantino will use stars, like just use them as stars. Like it's Dean Martin. When you first meet him, he's shaking because of, you know, because of withdrawal and he's all scruffy. And then later on he gets shaved and he's singing, but it's, he's this kind of tortured character. And so I like that you got to see the two sides. You get to see Dean Martin as Dean Martin singing, but then you also get to see him as this like tortured character. When he started singing, I thought it was really silly. Oh, I I was all about the singing. I was like, okay, now we're in a cool like parlor with a crooner singing at me right now. Yeah. What alcoholic sounds like that? It kind of reminded me. Go ahead. It reminded me of Johnny Guitar a little bit. Johnny Guitar is better. Yeah, I would agree with that. No, the singing in Johnny Guitar is better, too. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, in the way that... For sure. Cute guy, guitar. Yes, I love that. Because it's not like... This isn't a realistic... It sounds like... And again, I'm ashamed I haven't seen High Noon. I've been meaning to see it for a long time. I'm sure that's grittier and more grounded and more interesting. This is is a Hollywood movie, and you get it from the very beginning with the very Hollywood opening titles. I know that. But, like, it's it's like... It's fluff. Like... Yeah, I know, but... Why is it so revered? I don't understand why it's so revered. And I think the intention, everything you said about the characters, intention is there. Execution is not there. I'm all for having this drunk deputy. Did it play well? I don't think so. He's he's literally like, my hands are shaking, lifting up his hands, shaking. And then he puts them down and they're not shaking. You know, And he's like, it's just off. It's not going there. It's not strong enough. This must have been where the Gene Wilder character came from in Blazing Saddles. Maybe, yeah. It had to, I was like, oh, while I was watching this, it clicked for me. I'm like, that has to be what that's referencing. But I'm all for a character like that. I think that's really interesting. I'm all for a gambling lady. Why the fuck would she stand outside his door with a shotgun after meeting him for five minutes and he's an old fucking man? That that makes no sense. (laughs) Yeah. But that 
the intention is there. Like I right. like all of those ideas, but I don't like the execution of them. That's totally fair. Yeah, and John Wayne is just so boring. He is so boring. He is the most John Wayne in this movie, and I can't stand it. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before, but I think the reason, it must be the reason that John Wayne was so popular is because in a time, you know, in the mid, you know, mid middle yeah. of the century, he was the conservative man. Like yeah. he is a man's man and that's what he is. And like, and you know what? Yeah. And I didn't know all this high noon stuff until I started doing the research and it made me like even more distasteful of the movie. Like I don't, I liked it less after reading about all this, like this is their response to high noon. And they were glad to run that guy out of Hollywood. Like <laughs> shut the fuck up. I'm sorry. Now I'm getting angry. Now I'm getting Get angry. angry. I, I like Get the angry. Movie. Like I, I enjoyed watching the movie. Stumpy is fantastic. Yeah, so good. I want a whole movie about Stumpy. How did you feel about Angie Dickinson? I think that her performance is incredible. Even while I was watching it, I made a note. Like when you get her first scene in her room, I was like, Oh, she is fantastic. That's yeah. what I wrote. Yeah. But then the character failed me very quickly. <laughs> How very did the character quickly. fail you? Why does she love him? Why is she acting like o- this? Outside of the romantic subplot, though. That is her job in the movie. It That's is. True. That's the only thing she's there for. And that whole thing of like, oh, I'm talking too much, blah, 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 blah. Like, that didn't work. It didn't work. That's fair. <laughs> That's, those are all fair criticisms. I don't know. I liked the hotel manager and his wife. Yeah. And it's more of them. Not by a white guy right. with like brown makeup, yeah, which is them. more of the case in yeah. Hollywood westerns back then. And they had an Asian guy too as the uh, the Undertaker, which was a th- if you've seen Deadwood, like that's yeah. pretty historically accurate. Yeah. A lot of American westerns are completely whitewashed. Yeah. So yeah, this at I least has that. this at least has a hand in something a little bit bigger than what you would get at the time. Yeah. What about Ricky Nelson? Um, he didn't completely work for me, but he's also not in the movie very yeah. much. He has a certain swagger just like, because okay, he's Ricky I Nelson. Know. I was like, okay. The whole time, all I could hear is <laughs> fools rush in the whole time yeah. he was on screen. I, I don't know. I think he's fine against like a piece of stunt casting, yeah. but like he didn't bump me because he doesn't say that much. And he's just like, I don't know. Yeah. But the, also the Angie Dickinson character, like when... When he opens the bedroom door and she's in her pajamas, I laughed. When she's in bed, I was like, are you? Come on. And then she gets up and she's in her whatever, her bloomers. It's just so stupid. Yeah, she it's is so like, stupid. she's bending over backwards. She was throwing herself at him. Yeah, and the outfit at the end. I was like, sis, what are you doing? But like, John, she, does she really think that John Wayne has a bidet? Do you know what this man's ass probably smells like? <laughs> This man does not properly wipe when his ass. When does she bring up a bidet? No, I'm just saying, imagine when John Wayne takes off his pants. Like, it's not going to be great. <gasps> I thought, like, there was a bidet conversation. No. There were oh no bidets in the God, American dude. West. No, at that outfit at the end, she's like, I'm a club singer now. I was like, I love the she way they failed me. <laughs> you know what? Everything you're saying is fair. <laughs> I think, I have, a, I have a note here that just says cozy. And for me, it was like, it was cozy. It was cozy when they're in the jail. No, the whole movie was cozy. It was cozy at the hotel. Like the threat. You're right. I mean, I think one of the reasons maybe this doesn't work for some people is the threat is not really omnipresent. Like it's it's kind of there. It comes back a little bit. You're like, oh, they There's keep playing this song. song. I yeah. love the, the use of the song. Good. Of, I, the as song the threat. is beautiful. But then, yeah, the bad guys are kind of just like whatever. Yeah. And <laughs> They're very easily overcome, and it's like not ultimately not about them. They just had to have some conflicts in this movie, I think. Yeah. But it also gives a, in the way that Tarantino, one of the things I love so much about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I know that we've talked about this before, so I'm sorry, but for people who haven't heard, <laughs> I love the device of putting the Manson family in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because what you're doing is setting it in 1969. They live next door to Sharon Tate, Roman Polanski. It is a ticking time clock that Tarantino now doesn't have to do any work to sustain that tension. So for the whole movie, as good of a time you're having, you're worried about I like, know. oh, but the Mansons are there. And like, so in the, the same way, the threat in this movie, like, it's just kind of a driving force, right? It's like, oh, well, we need to wait a few days for the deputy. Deputy? No, the, the marshal. marshal. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, yeah, and they, they'll come and we'll have to fend them off. And like, it's just like a thing to drive the story forward. It's not even like like the shootout at the end 
so anticlimactic. It's kind of anticlimactic, <laughs> although I like that they're just like blowing this house apart with dynamite. I thought that was kind of cool. I love everything Stumpy says, especially at the end when he's like, jumping G! Like... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I like that Stumpy comes. Yes. Of course he's going to come. Yeah. I like that he shoots dude <laughs> because he shaved. Yeah. Oh, Why did you with you, dude? See, I wasn't as I wasn't as concerned as them leaving Stumpy there because he's pretty capable. He just has that limp, but like he's a good shot. I mean, I guess. It's just like I thought it was going to be this maybe it maybe it's just cuz I had different expectations. I thought there was going to be a contained story like this and like it is contained. really like threatening and psychological and like oh my god someone has to stay up what if they like what if they attack us at night like oh, I see. you know i didn't know you wanted more tension which is yeah, fair I mean, which I is guess. totally fair but it was enjoyable um i did love the hotel i like how well um, you get to know each of the locations like, i loved the saloon i was gonna yeah. say the the opening when he's in the saloon what a lived in saloon yeah i loved it and someone's yeah, someone's getting a shave in the corner. It's so strange. I didn't know this is really bad, but I didn't know what a spittoon was. Really? <laughs> I mean, I knew about the concept of a spittoon when I saw it there though. I thought they were pissing in it. Haven't you seen Back to the Future 3? I have, yeah. Oh. I don't but know. It didn't doesn't clock. That Biff get his head like a spittoon he like gets pushed into a spittoon and it like Do dumps out onto like his that? head. Yeah, I thought that I thought that that was like a chamber pot. I thought maybe why would they have them at a there. bar? They would just I, go outside and take a I piss. Thought, that's what I thought. <laughs> that's fine. I won't tell anyone. No, yeah, I think um, everything you're saying is so valid. It's like I'm going to bat for this movie, but also like I completely recognize its shortcomings, and like I, I like it, but like I'm not like your your side is totally valid like it's it's and your side is valid yeah. too i i get what you're saying and i i did i did enjoy it as i as i said um yeah it's got some quirky little lines in there that i liked um yeah just like i like just to, to finish a, a thought i started i really like the way that you learn the geography of these places like you learn the layout of the hotel of the room of the the saloon of the the jail of the the road of like that little that little structure out down the road and like when dean martin is at the entrance to the town being like hang up your guns like there's just i love films that have such a um tangible sense of place mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this movie just like those are my favorite because like that's what a film is it's like getting to be in a place that feels real and tangible mm-hmm. and a place that you can get your fingers into mm-hmm. and this for me did that yeah it's good for those for all those things um i want to talk about dean martin really quick i'm so curious so it's so funny because i was so genuinely <laughs> impressed <I wasn't>. like, <laughs> interesting have you Just seen thought- him in any other films like outside of the jerry lewis stuff i've seen the jerry lewis stuff right um like dramatic Roles. No, like yeah. partners and stuff. Have you seen that movie, Partners? No, I haven't seen Partners. It's like a silly western. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just think that he was very. It was like okay, in this scene you're gonna be drunk. Cool. This scene you're not gonna be a drunk. Cool. Like it was. Well, sometimes was he's drinking and sometimes cut. he's not. He's going through it in the same way that someone like kind of jumps off the wagon and gets back on, has a little drink, goes back yeah, off. It's, he wasn't bad. I don't think he was bad. I thought too for 1959 for an American Western at least, like the alcoholism felt like it was treated with respect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like again, I was just on uh, Felicia's podcast for, well, not just, I guess a couple months ago now, but for um, The Lost Weekend from 1945, yeah. which is all about an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And that film obviously pushes the boundary of you know but almost to like a cartoonish level mm. but like i i you know because it could be a device in a script like oh he's an alcoholic and his hands kind of tremble but i felt at least in this movie there was no moment where he's like i'm cured like there wasn't some cheesy like it's something he struggles with through the you're entire right. film you're right yeah he's not cured at the end in fact don't they go out for a drink yeah <laughs> yeah what do you think about the technical aspects of the movie? Like I was I was trying to pick a favorite site and it was very hard. I couldn't think of any. Nothing popped out to me. Same, honestly. It right? Well, that's kind of the Howard Hawks thing. Like I keep wanting to say workman, but he's not a workman director, but he has this like 
again, invisible style. And so none of his films look so incredible, not to take anything away from their look. I mean, I, I think I remember only Angels Have Wings looking pretty great and Red River and stuff. But like, it this doesn't look like, you don't go away from the movie being like, oh my God, the cinematography was incredible. Mm-hmm. But that's, again, it's kind of the whole old Hollywood Western thing of yeah. like, it's shot well. Oh, it was it's shot. Covered. I forgot to say it was shot at Tucson uh, Studios. I oh, okay. In Arizona. Oh, so they kind of actually got some authentic stuff in there. They didn't shoot it at the ranch from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? No. I've been to that ranch, though. Tell, tell me about that ranch. It's Is not Spawn place? Ranch. No, it's... But um, it's inspired by... There used to be a place like that. Yeah, Spawn Ranch. Yeah. Which the Mansons took over. They actually and then, did take over. And then a few years later, there's a big fire. Mm. But you can go to it now. The Is site. Spawn I've, Ranch? I've been to the site where Spawn Ranch used to be, and there's still like 60s like cars that are like overgrown. Yeah, it's creepy. But, but then where did Tarantino shoot the... He shot it there? at a movie ranch nearby, and I forget the name of the actual thing, but I went to the site because I love that movie so much with my friend. And of course, all the buildings are gone from Once Upon a Time, but we found a piece of Bruce Dern's, you know, and he's like at the end there in his little house, George Spawn. We found a piece of the house still in like the ground, so we like took it. <laughs> so my friend Brian has a piece of Bruce Dern's house. Nice. <laughs> anyway, this is not the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood episode. Although I wouldn't be uh, opposed to doing an episode on that. That'd be fun. But yeah, it's kind of hard. I, I just feel like because Tarantino makes this movie such a part of his identity. Even going back, if you see interviews with him from like 30 years ago, they asked him to name his like three Desert Island movies. This was one of three. He said this, Taxi Driver, and... Oh, God, I don't remember what the third was. Oh, Blowout, the De Palma movie. But, you know, this is like right when he made Reservoir Dogs. But so I don't know if those three still stand. But yeah, he loves this movie. Wow. And it's because of him that this movie is even on my radar. Yeah. But yeah. Um, The singing, huh? I thought it was really corny. <laughs> Come on. But you of all people, you love a good people breaking into song. Not when it's Dean Martin who has the most beautiful, silky voice. Yeah, but what's about. wrong with that? It didn't match. It sounded so off. It sounded <laughs> so off. <laughs> I'm sure it was in his contract, like must sing. I don't know. I, I dug it and I kind of liked Good. the songs too. Oh, yeah, the songs are fine. I just don't think it goes. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, no. I'm curious too. I'm curious what we'd both think of this movie like five years from now, like Me seeing too. it again. Just Me because too. it seems like the kind of movie that grows on you. Yeah. But listen, the majority of the plot, character wise, is this like weird romance. Well, and then him being an alcoholic. It's not. I don't know if the romance is that like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I also yeah. watched it in two sittings. Oh, did you? Like two days or? Yeah, I started it last night, late last night, and then I had to finish it today. Yeah, I don't know. I just, it's it's not it's not a masterpiece. But where does dude sleep? Pretty sure he sleeps in the jailhouse. Does he? I think so. I don't think he like has a home. Did you know that they're, I mean. A lot like, of them don't have a home. They just sleep in the hotel or whatever. Yeah, that was another thing. Why, why do they sleep? Because in these old Western towns, there's only so many buildings. So some people just lived yeah, out of the hotels, yeah. I think. I had no idea that there was another movie character called Dude. It was always Big Lebowski in my mind. <laughs> that was the first one to ever do it. And that's what I thought. What? How many movies are there where the main character's name is Dude? 20. <laughs> Did you know that there was another one? I mean, yeah. I, I don't, I've heard other characters in movies named Dude. You have? Yeah. Well, like who? Okay, wait, let's talk about this because we're assuming these are nicknames. His name is Chance. He's Dude. Ricky Nelson is um Colorado. Colorado. Or as John Wayne says, Colorado. And then there's Feathers. Yeah, Feathers. So I'm is assuming that a first name? These are is that a last name? Nicknames. I think you'll be surprised about what Pauline has to say about this. She kind of touches on that a little bit. But um Yeah. Yeah. I have like nothing else to say. That's fine. The water shot is okay. The water shot. When he's over like the water, the horse, what is it called? Like a trough? A trough? A trough. Wait, which? Oh, oh, where they dunk they him in. come and get him. Yeah, they dunk him. Um, when <laughs> The John water Wick- shot is okay. <laughs> You're like, there's one shot that was decent. I mean, this movie's very competently shot. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Um, I like when Chance kisses Stumpy. That was cute. Oh, yes. 
Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't like get cool. I know. I'm Ooh. surprised that John Wayne didn't flip out. Hey. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> um, well, should we do sight and sound? Yeah. What's Let's your do it. What's your favorite sight from the movie? The water shot. As the I trough? said, I can't. It's very hard. Um, what else did I say? I literally wrote another good one. I guess is the water. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> There's a shot of feathers changing behind that screen. Oh yeah, and there you get like John Wayne's hat's shadow on the screen. I mean, I guess that's a cool shot. I would like it more <laughs> if I liked their relationship. I guess. Yeah, she should have gone for dude. I know. I know. I too was surprised when she started falling so easily for John Wayne. And you're Within like, what's the appeal? He's minutes. a grandpa. <laughs> and the saloon shot is cool. It's like, grandpa with a dirty when he ass. Walks in. <laughs> with a western ass. Ew! Can you imagine like how bad people smelled? I think no, about that all the time. I think about it every time how I watch it, a period smelled. piece. I'm like, all these people smell ter- terrible. Just like, I think awful. about it. Yeah. 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 And it comes in at the worst moments of Pride and Prejudice. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> at the worst moments the thought well like the thing too is like in this movie they make a big thing out of bathing because the whole thing. thing is dude goes back to oh, the hotel I love to Stumpy. take a bath i love when stumpy's like someone in here said they were gonna do something yeah and that was great that's cool <laughs> yeah so yeah they all smell horrible yeah but angie dickinson is over there just throwing herself at him yeah and taking like three baths a day yeah <laughs> <laughs> She's good though. Like she really is captivating to watch. It's just I don't think she's really worth anything. You know she was married to Burt Bacharach? Really? Mm-hmm. I did not know that. She is still alive. She is 91. No, oh, good for her. She's only been married twice. She's been married to Jean Dickinson because she was born Angeline Brown, 1931. And then her second husband was Burt Bacharach. They divorced in 1981 and she has not been married since. Wow. Slay. Yeah, she's great. She's so good. She's really good. Yeah. Oh, she was in the Hallmark Channel film Mending Fences from 2009. Oh, I love that movie. She studied at Glendale Community College. Hey, so did I. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. She worked as a secretary at Lockheed Air Terminal in Burbank, now Bob Hope Airport, and in a parts factory. And her first husband was a football player. Oh. Interesting. Uh, wait, what were we talking about? Oh. You're going to say your favorite site. Oh, right, right, right. If you have one. No, I do. My favorite site. Okay, <laughs> this surprised me. Okay. It's John Wayne. It's John Wayne. It's the scene, I believe it's the, the scene where they first meet John Wayne and Angie Dickinson, even though I don't care about that subplot at all. But he comes in and she's doing something over her bed. I forget exactly. She's doing something or she's like getting something. And he's standing there. It's this shot from the side. He's kind of standing there with this kind of gait. And he looks so fucking huge next to her. (laughs) And there was something just kind of regal about the way he was standing. Like that for a moment, I was like, oh, I kind of see why people love John Wayne. (laughs) Interesting. Just the way he was like holding himself. Yeah. Again, he's no Clint Eastwood, but. (laughs) Oh, no. What's your favorite sound? I was going to go with the music, but I, I trusted you to go with the music. I didn't. Oh, you didn't? No. Okay, we'll just play it anyway. <laughs> what do you want me to play? I don't know. The song. The Alamo song. Oh, the Alamo song. Should we play a clip of that? Yeah. All right, here it is. jail and like that song they were gonna like mentally torment them like i thought it was I mean, a- they did they were teasing them with it but it's not a big deal at all they're tapping their feet to it it's a beautiful song not it didn't affect them yeah that you know what that was another thing i didn't like why is dean martin like i'm done with this wow i'm an alcoholic and then ooh, song plays you know what i'm back in within the same scene because it's a taunt they're know. being teased. I don't know. It's like someone calling someone chicken. And he's like. <laughs> now we're back to back to the yeah. future. 
I mean, I, I I get what you're saying, but I like I like the way that the movie kind of like I forgot about the threat, and then you just hear that song, and it cuts. Wasn't that dramatic? Though? It cuts into. I think it comes in. I think the you first hear it when it gets played, when it gets requested at the saloon, but then you hear it right after Ricky Nelson and Dean Martin have just sang. They've just sung those two songs. That's after Dean Martin says, I'm still on the force. So oh. it happens when he's like, oh, I quit. Never mind. <laughs> it's after that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and like it's Dean Martin. I don't know. I don't know. My well, favorite sound. Yeah, your, your actual favorite sound. It is Stumpy Line. It's got to <laughs> be a Stumpy Line. He, I like, so incomprehensible that I had to use subtitles. Does he not sound like the Big Thunder Railroad voice? Oh, absolutely. Maybe it, it could be that I guy. I looked it up. It wasn't. Oh, okay. I looked it up. <laughs> um, so this happens like with in, during the shootout when Stumpy has come. And uh, I forget exactly what John Wayne tells him. But here, let, let's just listen to it. Stumpy, hurry up. What are you doing? What do you think I'm doing? Taking a siesta? Oh man, it's good. He reminds me of good. the bird from um, what movie did we do? Where there's like a oh 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 um, Return to Oz. Wait, not the bird. Oh, the chicken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> these... I loved her. I loved her. What was her name? Yeah, what was her name? I forget. Did, do you think he's actually missing teeth, or was he? Did he do that for the? It's a good question. Role? I don't. I don't know. A great performance. Yeah, yeah. Pretty broadly His comedic. Eyes. Yeah, broadly comedic, but also feels like a real person yeah like you're never just like oh he's in fantasy land like yeah. just doing a caricature yeah he says something else that's funny where it's like um well don't put no red carpet down there for them oh when yeah. they're coming in <laughs> so my favorite sound is also a stumpy line yes he's playing harmonica mm-hmm. and uh john wayne says this to him stumpy what they don't need any help with that tune. Well, what's the matter? Is it getting through to you? <laughs> <laughs> Turning the simplest lines into pure gold. <laughs> it yeah. getting through to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Pauline. Yeah. Oh, did you, do you have another stumpy? Uh... No, I don't. Okay. He just he says in it a lot of times. Yes. Which I always associate with British people. So I only got uh, two sentences here from Pauline is all I could find. Um, I think it, I know what this is. In contrast to usually in the last couple, I feel like we've had paragraphs to read from Pauline. But Pauline Kale says, Howard Hawks directed this semi-satiric Western pastiche. Silly, but with zest. <laughs> there are some fine action sequences and the performers seem to be enjoying their roles. Okay. Semi-satiric Western pastiche. Definitely see the Western pastiche. Yeah. Satiric? I don't think I it's don't satiric. think it's satiric either. I think it's having fun with the genre a little bit and kind of indulging in some of yeah. like, yeah, it's a West. And I think the song, when when they break out into song, that is clearly playing into that whole thing. Yes. Um, but yeah, silly but with zest, she says. Cool. Pauline, thanks. Should we do letterboxd? Yeah. Okay. I have a five-star review here that just says, an outlaw gives up his gun, a drinker gives up his bottle, a gunslinger gives up his need to prove himself. The domestication of the Wild West. What gunslinger gives up his need to prove himself? (laughs) (laughs) I know they're talking about Colorado, but that's not at all what happens. Colorado. That's not at all what happens. I need you to say Colorado. Colorado. That's Colorado. Why does he talk so slow? Because he can't be bothered to talk faster. He's got too much swamp ass going on. <laughs> swamp. Swamp ass. Okay, this is a five star. That's what I've got. And I, I wanted to pull this because I actually thought that was a really cool line. Of all the lines. it's So it's Dean Martin's like, or someone says, that's all you got. And he goes, that's what I've got. Yeah, yeah. That's a good it's line. a good line. Yeah. Uh, this one has no stars, but it has a heart. And it just says, has the greatest moments of quiet of any film I've seen. 
Whole movies could be made about the changes that occur when these most human of characters stop speaking and you'd never run out of material. Predicts and surpasses every action movie, every male melodrama, honestly, every film that was to follow. That's very high praise. Okay. Did we, um, I'm not even going to. I don't think it's quite that. I don't think it's quite that. Okay, two stars. The whole reason behind the very existence of Rio Bravo can be accumulated down to the fact that John Wayne couldn't digest a complex and unconventional portrait of a Western hero and even went so far as to call it un-American. This film serves as his response to High Noon and not only is it vastly inferior and not only is it vastly inferior to Fred Zinnemann's classic, but also bloated, boring, and bog standard. And then they go on to say, overall, Rio Bravo has its share of occasionally thrilling moments, but considering its reputation, it is a surprisingly mediocre Western feature that's slow, frustrating, and needlessly overlong. And when compared to the gripping intensity and sustained tension of High Noon, it is actually laughable, failing to live up to its hype. There is nothing about this film that is different from the norm. In short, Rio Bravo is an utter disappointment. Huh. That felt like me, except I didn't call it an utter disappointment. Right. You see some charm in it. <laughs> I do. I do. Um, I have two and a half stars and it says, <laughs> John Wayne is a walking void of charisma and talent. <laughs> you keep, you're doing this on purpose. What? You're doing it to provoke me. <laughs> well, you, don't you agree? Wait, 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 say it again. Sorry. I Say it again. John Wayne is a walking void of charisma and talent. Void. Yeah. Okay. No, I, got I missed the word <laughs> void. <laughs> One and a half star, maybe the least cancer of the overly long westerns, but still pissed me off with how long it was. The least cancer. That just—it's a person who hates westerns, right? There, that's like forcing themselves to keep going or something. You know, some genres are just not for everybody. You know what? I didn't think westerns were for me. I purposely sought out ones that I knew were for me because mm. I've always loved, for example, Coen Brothers True Grit was like my first time I sat down and watched a Western and I was young. I think I was like <laughs> the 15. That came out when I was in college. I think um, I was like 15. Is that 14? that young to see your first Western? No, the first Western. Cause like my dad loved Westerns, obviously, but you were just like, no, I'm I don't never wanna... interested. Even right. though I love horses, I love horses. <laughs> I love hats a lot. But do you True like grit? dust? Yes. You like dust? What's wrong with dust? I don't like dusty swamp asses. Well, let's talk about that. Um, True Grit was the first one I sat down to watch. And obviously because it had a girl in there who was my age when I saw it. So I was very much like after that, I was like, okay, now I know what I like in a Western. And so I've sought out Westerns that I know I'm going to like. But then, of course, there's like this the vast majority I feel like, yeah, I don't like. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Those are just my feelings about Westerns. The vast majority. I'd say the vast majority I don't really like that much. What, what about is, you? Oh, I like I like uh I tend to like them more than I don't like them. Yeah. I I I like them. Like I'll never sit and watch a random Jimmy Stewart western. He's in some good ones. I know. I like Liberty Valance. Yeah, I was about to just bring up Liberty Valance. I liked it. John Wayne in that movie, though, as kind of a supporting character. Better because I don't have to see as much of him. <laughs> and he's in black and white. Yeah. No, but I like that movie because it has something to say about murder and like it's something. Yeah. 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 No, I like that movie a lot too. Yeah, I have a complicated relationship. Interesting. The Western. Well, this is, uh, I think that concludes our time in the Wild West, a.k.a. Arizona. I wonder if there are any other Westerns coming up on the list. I I don't think for a while. But you never know with the s'mores and the personal prints. Would you choose a Western? What would you choose? Yeah, some of my favorite movies are at spaghetti Westerns. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, next week, as we said earlier, we are doing the Bellatar film, Satan Tango. Ooh, seven hours, uh, seven or, and a half. Or Satan Tango. I've heard people straight up say Satan Tango because that's what it translates to, Satan Tango. Ah. Uh, I feel like Satan Tango is a more Sounds appropriate cooler. pronunciation, but I've also heard Satan Tango. Let's stick with Satan Tango. So it is a seven plus hour film. How are we going to do it? We should live stream while we watch it. Oh my God. <laughs> we're going to try to bring that. We're going to try to bring that next week. You know, barring personal lives, if one of us isn't able to get the whole seven hours in, we might have to do a week after 
We'll, we'll try to do it next we'll week, see. though. We'll try to do it. I'm going to watch it all in one day. So. I don't know if I can. It's the way to do it, Jackie. I, just, I live in a house with a lot of people. Bring it. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm, I'm so actually, excited I'm to really do it. I'm excited. This was the movie. I'll share the. I'll elaborate on the story next episode. But this was the movie when we first met. You were gonna go see it, and then you didn't see. Yeah, I, I was gonna see it in the theater, and I yeah. still haven't. But now's the time. So yeah. come back, join us next week for Satan Tango or Satan Tango or whatever. Uh, until then, I'm Greg. I'm Jackie. And we'll see you on the old dusty trail. We actually said that last episode, but it's okay. Did we? I'm Buttons. And I'm Leaf. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Special thanks to the patrons at our highest tier, John Pennington and Cynthia Fordwell. Seen and Heard is an official podcast of the Arroyo Film Club. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line, you can find us on email at hello at seenandheardpod.com or on Instagram at seenandheardpod.